When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. I think it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, wouldn't you say, uh, Tom? Oh, what a segue there, Pete. That's a, <laughs> a great segue. I tried. I tried. I was trying to be really creative on this one, you know, kind of kind of like Mr. Rogers here. You know? Trying. You tried. Yes. All right. And so what, what do we got today, Tommy? Well, today we're going to look at um, someone who's basically anyone who's an adult or even a kid would uh, know this person, right? Mr. Rogers, uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, and even the legacy he has today. I mean, Daniel Tiger and everything like that. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that, but we're going to look at who was Fred Rogers. Bust some myths about him. He was not a Navy. He was not a sniper. sniper. So yeah. he was not a sniper. He did not have tattoos. We'll get to that. But he was very real. And I think that's something that um, if anyone does any research on him or watches um, that movie with uh, Tom Hanks, What's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, really just explains, I mean, more and more research I did this guy. I know you and I were both talking about before, like, I started tearing up. Like, I don't know. This yeah. is like the story that I read about that, that gave me the idea for, the, you know, said, let's do a podcast on Mr. Rogers was like, really intense but just like sweet like i don't think you can find a more caring and just nice person than yeah. fred rogers and everyone who ever met him said the same thing like what you saw on tv that's what it was and he was all about helping kids we'll get into a little bit about him some of the show some memorable moments i guess that story that was downplayed didn't, didn't come out till i think years later maybe even after his death we'll talk about I, i'd like to talk about a little bit and just from one way or another again just the influence and his legacy from the shows that stemmed off from his original show which lasted until 2001. He was on yeah. for a long time. Interesting, because he got off in 2001, and then 9-11 happens, and then he comes back out of retirement just a few months before his death from uh, stomach cancer to give like another message to the American people, but also to children, because that's what he, he spoke to children. And at a level that it was not an adult really talking to him, it was a, like a kind person speaking to them on their level, which is amazing and resonates to this day, as you said, with, with people that are adults are our age. I mean, he spoke to us when we were little kids. I, I'm not sure if people today, like if I was to ask my students, I mean, I, maybe they would know who Mr. Rogers is. They it's might know him. They, so they, probably know the, they probably know the idea. They, they would know Daniel Tiger, which well, yes. was like original character, yeah. which was no a character from... I remember, I think, watching Daniel Tiger once, obviously, with my kids. And I was just like, wait a minute, trolley and stuff like that. I'm yeah. like, oh, all right, that's uh, that's from Mr. Rogers. So I'm getting a little bit off a tangent. Sorry, yeah, but yeah. Like, bro, I remember watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know, yep. before or after. I think it was after Sesame Street, like the two of them. And we can talk about the epic crossover, too. So, there's some interesting, there was Big Bird. There's some, but it's some interesting stuff. Mr. Rogers actually got in an argument with Big Bird. In real life. Yep, 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 yep. So something to talk about, something to talk we'll about. We'll talk about it. Uh, so basically, for those of you that do not, for some reason, know who Mr. Rogers is, uh, he was yeah. an American television host of his own, basically, preschool television series called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which ran, as Tom mentioned, uh, until 2001. It started in 1968. 1968, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, the amount of episodes. 2001, yeah. And I think they still showed it in reruns up on PBS up until 2016. 
if you go to Mr. Rogers' uh, neighborhood, I think it's .com or whatever, they have all of his episodes. And, and it's interesting it. because you click on it. it. Literally, it's like episode 1,700. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And it really gets you going because you really start getting, like, I wouldn't say teary-eyed, but even sometimes you just get so sucked in. Like, wow, like, kindness is still alive. I mean, this guy won more than 40 honorary degrees in his life, uh, several awards, uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002, a Lifetime Achievement Emmy in 1997. And a really known video of him is actually his induction to the Television Hall of Fame in 1999, which had so many known people there just literally standing up and like crying because of what this guy was saying. He was so well-respected and everything he did, he thought very detailed about it. He said like he hated, he didn't want to ad-lib anything. He said the kids deserved to have everything thought out. And he really put thought in like, how would this perceive a kid in one of his most influential episodes, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but I kept on coming up and coming up was when he did a um, episode about getting a haircut and how a haircut won't hurt. Yeah. Because you know that kids would be afraid of getting haircuts. So let's do an episode on getting a haircut and show that it doesn't hurt to get a haircut. It's so something that simple, but like when you're a kid, that's, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Oh he, my he gosh. Wrote, Remember taking your kids to get a first haircut? Cause I, Oh my did. God. It's a, it's a nightmare. It's Dude, a it's a freaking nightmare, man. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. I remember the barber just was like, no, no charge. Just go. Like, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. He's like, just, just leave. Just leave. I was like, oh, and, never, and never come back. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, sorry, man. Uh, ours, but, I remember they tried everything. We went to the special barber that had like TVs there. They tried to yeah, distract my kid. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. He was having none of it. He was just screaming. Doesn't work. But if they, we, uh, I wish I would have remembered. I would have uh, shown him Mr. Rogers. I probably would have right? gotten a little. We screwed up. We screwed up. We could have YouTubed that for that. Would have been a little would have been a little easier. All right. So let's get into Mr. Rogers' early life, uh, just a little bit about him, because I think his life and him growing up really plays a large role into who he becomes as an adult. Uh, so we'll get into a little bit of his early life, and then we'll kind of jump over to his career and how he really gets into television, which is interesting because he really didn't get into television, even really see television in his own house until he came back from college. I'm sure you yeah, saw that. Yeah, yeah, in the 50s, yeah. Yeah, he so, came yeah. back to college. You're like, what is this? And his parents are like, we got a new television. And he's like, television? <laughs> it's like, it's so ironic because he was like a grown man by the time he really discovered the medium. And exactly, then yeah. it made his life. Pretty much. So, all right, he was born in um, 1928, right, in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, just about 40 miles out of Pittsburgh. Uh, he was born to a fairly well-off family. His father was a very successful businessman and owned a brick company. His mom, from what I read, really wanted to become a doctor. It never really worked out. She kind of became more of like a um, housewife, but also... Like a nurse, uh, so like a help, uh, yeah. a medical worker. But she she was the one that really instilled in him the idea of like caring for people and volunteering. She was and volunteering. She said it was big, like you know, you you volunteered, you help people, you're kind to people, and that's kind of how he grew up. And he didn't have any siblings until he was 11 years old yep. when his parents adopted a baby girl. So before that, he was very much isolated. And um, he talked about being a little chubby, so he was made fun of. Right? He was called Fat Fred or Fat Freddy. Fat Freddy, which, yep. is, which is pretty tame, I guess, by now, but still. You know, very traumatic for a little kid. But yeah, he was bullied. What's interesting is that that bullying he and because he was so isolated and he didn't only child, he he used to play with his puppets and stuff like that in his bedroom and change the voices and stuff like that. And that's really a lot of the same characters that he made. He was a child. He brought those characters onto his shows, so they were yep. created during that time. And he just brought them with him. The voices because he 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 did most of the voices on that show too, which we'll get yep. to. So like, but he made these when he was like you know eight years old in his bedroom. Like just trying to entertain himself because he had, didn't have contact. With well, he made friends. His age. He, he basically created. He created his own friend circle. Yeah, he yeah. and he once he got to high school, he said he started coming out of his shell, 
uh, he made um, he said he was shocked because he became really good friends with the uh, captain of the football team. Yeah, I saw that, and that led to him becoming basically like class president and doing a lot of other things. He was very good at, with music too. Well, he went for music. That was the initial thing. Yes. So in high school, very much an introvert, shy introvert, overweight kid in elementary school. Not even before in elementary school as a little kid. And then once he goes to high school, he kind of blossoms and makes a lot of friends. Mainly a lot of people tend to like him because he was just a generally nice dude, nice guy. Member of National Honor Society, he became an editor-in-chief of his school yearbook. He did register for a draft after World War II. However... Uh, he was eventually found. He didn't pass the medical, right? They said he was un- unqualified. Well, first um, he was found. He did qualify. Then I guess they checked him again. He he wasn't for whatever reason. For he was small. He was yeah. small. Yeah, he was too small. Oh, he weighed so like he 140 did, pounds. No, no. We'll, well, we'll get to why and one, 143 in a minute. Yeah, yeah, which is important because it's yeah. Anyway, so after that, he initially goes to uh, Dartmouth College, uh, but only for one year. Then he transfers over to Rollins College uh, in Florida where he graduates magna cum laude in 1951 with a Bachelor of Music. So his background is music, which kind of is understandable when you start thinking about the amount of times he sang and all the songs he wrote and the piano he played, all that stuff that really plays into his background. Eventually, however, he does go back to school in Pittsburgh, right? Theological Seminary, and he becomes an ordained minister in the United Presbyterian Church by 1963, but that's that's a little bit later. But he was also his part, his job at the ministry too was working with children. Yeah, it was explaining things to children. That's really what kind of just kept him going. And he found like a knack. He knew everyone always said that Fred just knew how to talk to kids. He just knew how to talk to them with like a respectfulness, directness, and like a caring and gentleness that like kids just opened up to him. And he yep. was generally just so kind like this is what you're gonna we're gonna keep on saying this and like kids just gravitated towards him because of that and how he was able to talk to them on such like about like any topic but make it seem simpler and easier for them his first job in television actually said he he saw he came home in 1951 from the first college from music from from college and saw a tv set didn't know what it was and he didn't like tv at first he thought it was a horrible thing but then he was like wait a minute but this can be used to reach the people that watch this the most which he says are kids and I can use this to reach them. And that's really where he gets um, – he starts to become like a floor manager. He produces music programs for NBC in New York City. And he was hired to um, do these sorts of things on like the local TV stations. And the first show he was co-producing was a show called Children's Corner. And mm-hmm. if you actually see that, um, that's where he – that's some of his original puppets like Daniel Tiger and stuff like that appear on Children's Corner, which only lasted for uh, – Two years. Yeah, that was 53. And I think that was a local station. That was after he shifted. Yeah, that was, in, that, was, that was in Pittsburgh. Yeah, very yeah. local. And then he then he goes to Canada and he creates, there's a show there called Mr. Rogers, just like one word. And then that laid the groundwork for most of his approach. And he kind of bought the rights to that show and then used that when he left in, um, I think it was 60, 62. And then he come, but he didn't want to basically be in, uh, live in Canada, raise his two sons in Canada, yeah. him and his wife, Joanne. So that's when he moves back to the United States, back to Pittsburgh, and then he creates Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in uh, 1966. And what's interesting here, too, is people believe that he was almost like crazy to do that because his Canadian show was very, very successful. It's almost like a knockoff now. It's like they'd be like kind of a Canadian knockoff. That was just like the Mr. Shafir was called. Exactly. Uh, but it was taken over by his friend in Canada. Yeah, yeah no, they were good friends, yeah. Yep. So they, he did kind of like a Canadian version of Mr. Rogers. Very similar. 
If you see a picture, the guy has glasses, wears like a sweater. Like it's very, it's, it's very similar to Mr. Canadian Rogers. Version. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Rogers. The, the reason he got even to Canada, because as you mentioned, a children's corner, which was this local telev- television, public television show, uh, started winning a bunch of awards locally because they're like, this was just awesome children's programming. And what made this programming different is that, and this really plays a part later on as you get into his, his original, his main show is that he didn't really concentrate on educating the children per se. He concentrated yeah. on the emotional aspect yeah. of children. Uh, and so it wasn't like, oh, this is like eventually when you look at uh, Sesame Street, it's about learning numbers and colors. Like that was not his jam. This show, The Children's Corner, was very much about just like being in touch with like the human psyche and also the emotions of children. And it, it all these awards led to Children's Corner being broadcast nationally by NBC, which then led to him going to Canada, which then led to him really studying children's psychology. So the show in Canada lasts from 63 to 67 when he had just become minister. And then he winds up coming back by giving up this very popular show. And they're like, why would you do that? And he was like, no, I, like, I, I need to be in the U.S. And he restarts this in 1967. By settling in Pittsburgh with his wife. Settling in Pittsburgh, yeah. And it, it takes off, obviously, from there. And um, he basically, before he talks to his audience with like a directness and a respect and issues that children face that wasn't really other programs in touch about. It's like Sesame Street was on and it was popular, but Sesame Street is teaching about colors and yeah. numbers and letters. That wasn't his show. This was more of the, the emotional side. Like he said, BC did appear on that other show where the producer said, you know how to talk to kids. You should go on there. He was the host. He was the producer. He wrote all the scripts. He wrote all the songs himself. Joe kids asked him, why do you want to do this? He said, because the world is not always a kind place, but children need to learn that for themselves. And we have to help them better understand that and how to help them understand that. And the very first show pretty much started the same way every other show started with that music, you know. The, well, you pan yeah, into his, to his little yeah, house. Yeah, pan into the little house. And then the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, which is always in yellow, and there was even a reason for that. It was because yellow was like the color, like he wanted to put it there because that was his idea was slow down, right? Yellow, like a yellow light means slow down. Yep. So it was the yellow Mr. Rogers Neighborhood and that scrap. I'm seeing in my mind's eye right now, just like. Yeah. All the time, Mr. Roger Neighborhood just calm down, calm down. The very first show, you know, just like all the other ones, he walks in through the front door singing a song, Won't You Be My Neighbor, right? Puts on his uh, jacket, cardigan. right? The cardigan, cardigan, which are all actually the original ones were all sung by his, by his mother yep. originally. And one of them is actually in the uh, Smithsonian since 1984. And he, you know, takes off his shoes, puts on the uh, sneakers. sneakers, which again had a meaning because he was originally, when they were filming, he wore the uh, dress shoes and they were too loud on set. So he's like, I'm yeah. going to put on sneakers now and put that. And he's just, I remember learning how to tie my shoe from like literally watching Mr. Rogers. That's yeah. like one childhood memory that was popping in my head. It was just so well known. When they had to make believe, right? And everything like that. It was just like super popular. And all the shows followed that format in some way. And we'll talk about some of the, I think. Next shows that were influenced by it. Really influential shows and some of the ones that were big for the time too. Yeah. I did not know this for some reason, but the first season, 180 episodes of it were black and white. Yeah, they were black and I white. Was, I was not aware of until they start, basically became such a hit. that Because back then, we're talking late 60s. So television, you still have most of television is Westerns and crime dramas and so on and so forth. There's really not much for children. No, very um, few shows, yeah. And, you know, PBS is really the programming that kind of starts that up. And between Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street, no one was really willing to spend the money on children's television. And producing anything in color was very expensive. But once they saw the success that this first season had, PBS is like, all right, we're going to spend extra money. And basically, they filmed in color. A lot of the funding for the PBS and for Mr. Rogers actually came from Sears. 
um, the Sears Foundation, you see that, and other different charities paid to make sure that it was in color. Well, yeah, and it had to be that color. You couldn't think, I can't think of Mr. Rogers not being color. Obviously, when we started watching it, it was in color oh, yeah. really established because we were watching it in the mid 80s for the most part. He liked to touch on issues that weren't talked about before. He talked about divorce on his show. Yeah, especially and, the 80s because that's they, when the divorce rates were growing. Yeah, and it was like a big thing. He's like, you know, kids need to know this. And he said, you know, sometimes mommies and daddies fall out of love with each other, but that doesn't mean they love you any less. And he would just like say these things and it was just like... It was always topics that were meaningful that you would almost think like children are too young to deal with these topics. And his, his approach was, well, you have to teach children about civility, tolerance, sharing, self-worth, but you also have to teach these children about real life events and also yeah. about disappointment, really. So, you know, I mean, the one big one that basically one of the first seasons, because he started in 68, right? So in the first season, yeah. he already has a special segment in which he has to deal with the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, right? So two days after the assassination, where, where the United States is shocked, this is Bobby Kennedy is running for president. I mean, JFK was shot years before. Um, you had MLK shoot. I mean, this is, you know, it's almost it's, like it's turmoil. There's a lot of turmoil going on. Yeah, right? and and children see their parents upset. So the way he looks at it is, well, children can see when their parents are upset. They could see and feel. They can because feel. It. That, that was his main thing. The feeling. Yeah, and he said no feeling was ever too big or too small. Every yep. feeling had to be talked about, no matter what it was. Whether it was he said haircuts, divorce, war, assassinations. Let's talk about it. Let's understand this. And he was, but he said it in such a calm, like demeanor. But yeah, he talks about the RFK assassination, like and addresses. It makes it so that kids can kind of understanding about. It. He even did um five episodes talking about nuclear war in the sixties. But it's the calmness of it. Like I wish yes. I could almost have that ability, that demeanor. He spoke. I mean, you guys could all see. You could YouTube it. He was so calm. It's almost like. I think of Bob Ross whenever like I just need to something calm in the background, put something on, I'll put Bob Ross. But like you could equally just put on Mr. Rogers. I feel like a kid going nuts would probably come down. This guy just like calms you down. But kind of going back a little bit to his topics, and, and I think we'll also talk about some of his biggest moments and biggest episodes. He dealt with death, which is something you don't talk to kids about. You know, it's like you try to avoid it. And he's like, no, uh, you know, I remember the death episode. He, he's talking about. Remember goldfish. his fish? The goldfish died. And, the goldfish died, And yeah. you see the fish died. He talks about the idea it's okay to cry when someone dies. And then he talks about his dog and how he didn't want to bury his dog when, when his dog died when he was younger because it would just be like mm -hmm. pretending that he's there. And it's almost like he talked about things that parents felt well, yeah, like just they Mr. couldn't talk about. Yeah. He talked about it very like, like honestly and very calmly too. Like it's not moving. It's not, you know, yeah. it's, do it's doing nothing at all. So it's yeah. again, it's how they, they kind of, they can understand it. Yeah, and it was. I I think I actually kind of remembered that episode too. Like at some yeah. point, I was like, "Oh yeah, wow." He doing you know just a way that was just like could reach the kids. And I think one of the biggest episodes he did that they actually reshot later too um, was Clemens. in nineteen was in nineteen sixty nine. Yep, yeah, right, yeah the Clemens. Yeah, when Officer Clemens arrives. So what happens is this is nineteen sixty nine, nineteen sixty eight, right? So the biggest race in the United riots, States, right? And, yeah, and um, yeah, race riots, and it was still segregation a lot of the country, particularly in the South. And particularly in pools, and that's something I understand Mr. Rogers is he he loves swimming. He did the same thing. He was an avid swimmer. He would swim every day. Every morning every day. at 5.30 a.m. That's what he did. Okay. He yeah. was very reg regimental with that. So what happens is in 90, um, it's a hot neighborhood day, right? Mr. Rogers is outside soaking his feet in a kiddie pool. Officer Clemens arrives and Rogers says, why don't you do the same way? It's a hot outside. Why don't you soak your feet in the pool with me? And the two men sit and they sing and they 
you know, in the oh, the fact war. that it was black, yeah. right? I mean, I don't know if we mentioned. Yeah, that. I'm sorry. Officer Clemens was yeah, it was black. Yeah, so the kids here and they don't may not think anything of it. And Rogers wasn't like talking about race in an episode, but it was just his subtle way. He just had these calm, subtle ways. Pools were segregated at the time, right? He was a swimmer, so he definitely he dif- disagreed with that. So he wanted to make a statement. How can I do it in a very innocent way? I'm just going to invite the officer who came to check on everybody. Right, it's a hot day. Why don't you soak your feet in this pool with me? Just cool off. Let's just hang out and they sing some songs. It's like this shared humanity. And it was really an iconic part of the series. And years later, in 1991, they actually had Officer Clemens return and soak his feet again in the same kiddie pool. They kind of did like a uh, come, yeah. uh, come back to it and stuff like that. But again, think about it, you're on TV in 1969, 1991, let's do it again. <laughs> like it's just yeah. a amount of time. Yeah. It's like such a, a subtle way. But it was a big deal at the time. Like civil and rights also, activists talk about absolutely. that. And, and also another, one other part of the fact that it was a big deal. So the camera pans in on both of their feet, black and white, in the same pool. But afterwards, Officer Clement's like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a towel. And he goes, oh, you could have my towel. And he helps him dry his feet. And yeah. again, that's the symbolism there. It's like we're all in this together. Like we're all friends. You be kind regardless of your skin color. Very, very powerful episode. And of course, it wasn't his only powerful episode. I mean, he did Jeff Erlinger. He was the electric wheelchair boy. Do you remember that yes, one? Yes, yes. I watch it and it's like sad and not sad at the same time. It's just... So the episode aired in 1981 before we were even born, you and I, Tom. A disability, right? Wasn't he a paraplegic? Yes, he was in a wheelchair. Rogers winds up inviting this boy, Jeff, to a show and so he could talk about his experience of having, you know, of using an electric wheelchair. Basically, they sit there and they start singing. They have this conversation and really kind of look at a boy's experience. But they start singing that he's like, I love you for just the way you are, just who you are inside and not for your awesome, cool wheelchair. Like, And they laugh together. And it was this idea of just taking away some stigma from disability and specifically like you challenging this stigma that surrounds disability. Like these are, saying, everyone's these are the same. Yeah. Everyone's the same. These are, this is a child, right? Yeah. He deserves the same treatment and the same love as every other child. And he's, I'm going to treat him exactly like I would like to be treated myself. So it's these teachings that you hear about, but he's showing the kids that, you know, he's yeah. showing them examples of it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And another thing I thought was very interesting is how um, I'm sure you saw his program was so popular, but on the seventies, you have new technology, which some people listening to this podcast might have no idea about the VCR. Yeah. Right. Right. So the VCR is becoming big and it was actually a Supreme court case in 1979 Supreme. It was Sony Corp of America versus universal city studios where companies were trying to get rid of the VCR because they said, you're taping our programming. You don't have the right to do that. And it went to actually the Supreme court and Rogers actually testified in supporting the, the VCR. He said, this is great piece. It allows people to watch shows when it was convenient for them and they can watch my show whenever they want. And he said, um, quoted, he, he said, very frankly, I'm opposed to people being programmed by others. He's like, if you can't watch it at that certain time, because for whatever reason, but you can program your VCR to watch it when you want, when you, it's convenient for you, that's good. Or you can watch it over and over and over. It's like, that's getting the message across. It's getting into more homes. Why would I not be in support of that? But if that case goes the other way, I mean, DVRs probably would be the same thing. It couldn't happen, right? Yeah. And I mean, how different things would be. 
And it's not the first time he went and sp- spoke in front of Congress. No, he, he does that a lot of times, yeah, for public yeah. funding and stuff like that. Yeah, so the public that. funding one is, is one of his most famous clips watched on um, YouTube, believe it or not. So President Richard Nixon decides when he becomes president after LBJ that he is going to cut federal funding for PBS. This is in 1969. And that's kind of why this video of Mr. Rogers just a year into his show um, given a speech in front of Congress, the Senate subcommittee on communications, it goes viral again when Mitt Romney, remember, was talking about yeah. uh, cutting, cutting funding the funding. Yeah. And same thing when Donald Trump was talking Donald about Trump. Whenever they do, they just pull up Mr. Rogers and people are like, oh, well, we can't. You can't say anything bad about Mr. Rogers. Like, it's just, it just can't. And I, I think that's what I got from this, too. Like, I remember watching it when I was a kid. And then when you get older, like, uh, kind of corny or whatever and stuff. And there's a lot of parodies. There's a lot of parodies on Mr. Rogers. Probably oh, one of the Eddie most Murphy. famous is Eddie Murphy's Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, which is hilarious. And Rogers loved them. He loved yeah. all the parodies. He's like, oh, people, they're all good at heart. He's like, they're yeah. they're all in fun nature. He's like, I love it. He's also, it's, you'd have to know Mr. Rogers' show to, in order to, parody to, to, to understand the parody. So he yeah. loved it. Yeah, he, he thought it was great. And he had, the guy had a great sense of humor. He never cursed. They said the most, the most he ever cursed would he would say, oh, mercy. That was all he ever said. That was like, oh man, I wish I was that good. I know there's the calmness. Like there was one episode they talked about, he got put a microphone in a fish tank, had a guy come over who was like this big, like marine biologist. And he put a microphone, he put it in the fish tank to hear the fish eat. So they put, they put, they put it in the microphone and the fish didn't go for the food at all. They just never went for it. And they waited and waited and waited. It was like 50 seconds, a minute long, whatever. And the production, like, we have to cut this and do this again. He's like, no, this is great. Because it's also going to teach the children patience that they have yeah. to wait for wait for what they want sometimes. And sometimes even if you wait, it might not happen, but that's just part of life. And that's just part of experiencing everything. So it's like, oh my God, so he, this is the type of guy that just always saw the world as like, what, that glass half full mentality? Yep. Like I just wish for like a day I could like have that, that sort of mind. Rogers for a day. He's holy um, man, just a kindness and like the, just a perspective of life. Like there's got to be books about like how to be Zen, like Mister Rogers. I'm sure there like is. Uh, there totally yeah. are books about this. Yeah. Uh, one Rogers. thing you mentioned here too, this idea of just stillness, and there was a speech that he gave, or actually rather an interview at one point, and he talked about the importance of silence in mm-hmm. our world. To reflect, and, he, yeah. and he goes just. We're not silent enough. We're always doing something. We're always going somewhere. And he spoke about the importance of just stopping and listening to the silence. I remember actually watching this interview. I mean, you know, sometimes you get just clicking on YouTube and before you know it, you're watching Mr. Rogers in some way, shape or form. But like, kind of going back real quick, Congress, and when you defended Congress, what was interesting with the Nixon case is that they were going to cut the funding from 10, it was like 10 million and it was supposed to go to 20 million. And they were like, well, we're not going to give you $20 million. Actually, we're going to cut it to nine instead of giving you that double. Uh, by the time he was done talking to the subcommittee, which you guys could watch this video, the chairman of the subcommittee literally said, like, I have, he literally said, I just had goosebumps for the first time in the last two days. And he goes, you just made yourself $20 million. Yeah, they just gave them money. Yeah. They gave him the money. They gave him 22, actually. Instead of raising it from 10 to 20, they gave him. Twenty-two million dollars. Just from talking to him, because they saw how how he was. He was a great speaker, also, and I think he used to give like uh, commencement speeches at colleges oh, all the time. All the time. All that the was time. like one of his like things he would do, even after he stopped doing the show. Yeah. He, he he would do that just because he was so popular, giving these speeches, and he always ended one of the last ones he gave. He ended with a great quote, um, where he basically said like he told everyone like again it goes by you're saying to just remain silent for a moment. Yeah, he did in uh, Dartmouth College and just think about someone who had a good influence on, on oh my that. god that one yeah that one 
That one makes so, me think. Send you chills and just like think of someone. And that's a great thing sometimes to do. I know this might sound corny or whatever. You know, I get kind of like, feel kind of like uh, t- talking about this sometimes. But yeah, just like be quiet. Think about positively about someone who influenced you in a good way. And just to take that time to do something like that. Like, I think that if people did that a little bit more, instead of just, again, like running around and going crazy, it probably would like benefit people. Yeah, absolutely. It, it probably I, I, would. Talking about quotes, I mean, so many good quotes. You could plaster oh, yeah. your whole wall with them. The one that always resonated with me was when I was, when he, this is from Mr. Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always yes. find people who are willing or who are helping. Well, I think some of the other things that was interesting about him and when that kind of shows his impact was I saw the story. There was a couple of stories that I want to like talk about, but one of them I thought that was kind of interesting. It's kind of like a fun fact, but I, it was still pretty interesting was Coco, I'm, the, the gorilla. Oh, the I mean, gorilla I mean, one. Yeah, we, yeah. Could even, we could even do a um, podcast on Coco the gorilla one time, but this video is on YouTube. I was watching the, uh, earlier. Coco loved Mr. Rogers. I said, yes. Coco was basically a Stanford educated gorilla who didn't understand about 2000 English words. And was a and huge sign language, fan right? in yeah. sign language. And so, yeah, I couldn't talk, obviously. Was a huge fan of Mr. Rogers and actually met Mr. Rogers at one time and went crazy in a good way when he saw Mr. Rogers and ran right over, hugged Mr. Rogers, and then took off Mr. Rogers' shoes. Because he always saw Mr. Rogers taking his shoes off in the show. Yeah. So right away. So it actually shows you how like this gorilla and Mr. Rogers is so kind with his gorilla. It's just like, it's interesting. It's just like warmed up to him and knew who he was, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's an awesome video if you guys watch it. Like the gorilla's hugging him and, and using sign language to tell him he like he loves him and he like, yeah. misses him or she misses him because she was a she. We talk about the big crossover. Oh, with uh, Big Bird. With Big Bird. So you would think it was be big. It was kind of anticlimactic, people say. So it happened in 1981, which is weird. I think I almost remember this episode. I'm sure they played it again. It's probably a, re, yeah, a bunch of reruns, obviously. So he makes one appearance on Sesame Street in 1981. There was a lot of backstage drama because Mr. Rogers and the guy who played Big Bird, they got into a, a much of an argument as, as Fred Rogers were ever going to get into anybody, right? And Fred Rogers was always about being real. Like He always broke that fourth wall because he talked to the kids at home. So he wanted the actor who inside of the big bird suit, I forget the guy's name to actually appear without, you know, the big bird suit on or yeah. with these with the head off. And the guy's like, no, I want to keep the, you know, illusion alive. This is important for the kids with playing. So then they got in this debate. So they kind of like made a compromise that Rogers one, he's going to appear earlier wearing this kind of like giraffe costume and taking it, taking the mask off. And he was like, whenever you see these costume creatures, just know that there's a person inside. Right. And yeah. then, the only way that Big Bird appeared in the show was in that um, like land of make believe that Rogers would go to sometimes. And he's they're basically there. It's it is a good episode. It's about um, competition, like you know maintaining your friendship. What do you win and lose? Because Rogers was going to be the um, judge between a race between Snuffy, like that Mastodon thing, and Big Bird. So Snuffleupagus and Big Bird were going to have a race. Mr. Rogers was going to be the judge and teaching him about how you know you can do races with your friends and competition is fine. Just your friends first. And that's what's more important. Stuff like that. So again, I always had that like sweet, wholesome message. Yeah. And, and just kind of go with the messages too. One of his other quotes that he had was that children probably need to hear most from us adults is that they can talk with us about anything yeah. and that we will do all we can to keep them safe in any scary time. How about that story? Yeah. Go over to go to your story. You know, it's out there. Um, but he was, you know, obviously a friend to a lot of people. A lot of people saw him as being a friend, but there was one sick girl that he actually saved her life. Her name was uh, Beth and Beth Usher. And she's told her story on a bunch of TV shows that you can actually, I think she was on Ellen not that long ago. 
when Ellen Show was on, like giving the story. And she had a, a very rare brain dis- brain disease. And she actually suffered at one point a hundred seizures a day. So think about it, these they were violent seizures a day. And the only time she wouldn't seize during the day is when she was watching Mr. Rogers. Yeah. So they just, it was just common. She said she just felt like he was talking right to me. I used to tell him that I loved him. So she would watch this show. And, you know, for why she watched the show, no seizures. After the show ended, unfortunately, she started having these um, seizures again. And she's still alive today. So, you know, it has a happy ending. So the, her they parents- for an autographed photo, right? Or something yeah, like that's that. what I was going to say. So her parents yeah. write to Mr. Rogers and say, we, could we have an autographed photo? And they explain the story. So then, Mister, this is gonna, this when it gets like so kind yet also like intense, right? Yeah. They get a call from the Miss Rogers assistant saying, "Will you be home at seven p.m. today?" And they're like, "Yeah, we'll be we'll be home." Because basically, they decided that to go for this um, very ex- not experimental but dangerous procedure where they're going to remove part of her brain to stop the seizures. Yeah. And then, you know, it was it was life threatening. So, the, but the parents decided to do that, and since they love Mister Rogers so much, let's see if we can you know get an autographed picture for for our daughter. And then we'll do be home this evening at seven. And then he actually called Mr. Rogers called and talked to talk to um, the daughter. And not only that, he put on a whole show for her. He did the different voices. He actually had the other people in the show stay and did it gave her like her own private show. And she says she opened up to um on the phone. She told him like things she'd even tell things her parents. Things she'd tell her parents, like I'm afraid, I'm afraid of dying and stuff like that. And then he the conversation ended with him doing um Daniel Tiger's voice saying that, you know, I love you and everything's going to be okay. So she yeah. went and had the surgery and the surgery went well, but then she slipped into a coma and he would call the hospital every single day to find out if she was doing okay or not. Yeah. Right. Which is, yeah. you know, it's just like, again, just showing his caring. This was like, he would do this show, but this is the thing, number one thing on his mind. And then she was not coming out of a coma. This was going on for weeks. So, and he's like, all right, I want to come and see her. And he and he asked the hospital if it's okay. He said, "Listen, I want to come and see her, but it's just it's just me and her. I want no press. This does not get out. No one knows." Yeah, about yeah it. this was not part of the show. It was, was so, yeah, and no one knew about this. It was there's only one picture of it, which is taken later on. And he 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 flies there from Pittsburgh to Baltimore. He has a friend pick him up, and he goes in. And he gives his own private show to her while she's in a coma, and he's holding her, and he's like you know saying all these things, and he takes out all the puppets from the show. These famous puppets, like the kitty cat. I don't remember. Like King, King yeah, yeah. Friday, he, he right? Leaves, King, uh, he them, leaves her. He, and he leaves them all there. King Friday, Lady right, right Lady Fairchild. Yeah. Um, and he leaves them all there. Because he says when she wakes up, he wants her to be surrounded by friends. He keeps on calling every day. She eventually wakes up. And apparently they called him, like the hospital called. And he says, you know, praise God. He came back. You know, he came there and met her and stuff like that. It was just very like, you see these pic- this one picture and you see this him doing this. It is, it's emotional. <laughs> okay yeah it's emotional and then she you know she she says listen he brought so much joy into my life like she's 39 years old today like she says like she's still her family they try to keep his um his legacy alive today but they just just say like whenever we're like in a bind or what should we just think to ourselves what would fred do you know yeah. said so that you know people the world needs more people like him i uh, agree with know. that so I it's just crazy yeah. yeah because he said everyone is worthy and lovable just the way they are yeah. Which is just like, but he did do the go out of their way. I'm not, and a lot of stars do this. Okay. Look at the Make a Wish Foundation. And, you know, a lot of stars do this. And they do it John generally. Cena. John Cena is one George, of the biggest. He's one of the ones. Yeah, I, know. I was just going to say that. I know. He was one of the biggest. He was one of the biggest ones. He, I, he granted the most wishes out of anybody. Mm-hmm. 
Like when you watch these interactions, sometimes the same thing that they don't, a lot of them, they don't want to be, you know, published and they do it for the kids, which is just great. Like there's no, I, I give them, that's what you should do when you have that celebrity, that fame, that uh, power to, you know, inspire kids and have influence over kids, right? That's why we became teachers, ideally, right? You want to inspire, you want to help and stuff like that and lead the young people, the young kids in the right way. But they actually went out there and like used it and helps these kids that are in having a hard time. And then she credits him with saving her life. Yeah. But she like, without him and giving him the strength and keeping her calm. Like when I read that story, that's what I like, we need to do a podcast on Mr. Rogers. Yeah, Mr. Rogers. So let's talk a little bit about Mr. Rogers before you go into you know his legacy and death. Um, but let's talk a little bit about him because you did allude to this earlier in the podcast. This uh, this fact that he weighed 143 pounds. Yes, yeah, that's a big thing. There's a reason for it. Go ahead. Yes. So, um, well, you could get into that if you want. I mean, let's, so Mister, he was a very avid swimmer, as you mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, got up every morning around five five thirty a.m. He read the Bible, went swimming every single day. Um, Sometimes he would wake up, they say, between 4.30, around the 4.30 a.m. to go to the Pittsburgh Athletic Association to get his swim in. So, like, every single time, he never smoked or drank anything. He was um, a vegetarian. Vegetarian. He said he couldn't bring himself to eat anything that had a mother. <laughs> he napped daily and then went to bed at 9.30 p.m. Every night, yeah. slept eight hours per night without interruption. They said that his weight of 143 pounds was destiny fulfilled. And why is that, Tom? Because 143 means I love you. Yep. One letter for I, four letters for love, L-O-V-E, and three letters for you. So he would always have to maintain 143. I was just looking at like 143. I don't think I've weighed 143 since middle school. Probably when I stopped watching Mr. Rogers. Oh, dude, but, I don't remember <laughs> when I weighed 143. <laughs> but you know, he, he maintained 143. So essentially what ends up happening is he does retire in 2001. Then 9-11 happens. And for the one-year anniversary of 9-11, he comes back to basically give like a message it's like a video recorded message that airs. I think he records it a little before, but it airs at the one year anniversary. But he winds up having really bad chronic stomach pains that were severe enough that basically made him see a doctor in October of 2002, where they diagnosed him with stomach cancer. From what I saw, he delayed his treatment at one point because he wanted to be like a grand marshal of a of grand marshal in a parade. He passed away in 2003 with his wife basically there. February. They were married for they were married for 51 years. And um, yeah, I mean, when he died, it becomes front page news around the world. Yep, everywhere, he, like everywhere. It's it, just like Mr. Rogers page. passes away. Like it was just such a huge story because this is like his icon. Again, everyone at that time knew who Mr. Rogers was. So yep. him, his passing was a big deal. It was like the end of truly the end of an era, the end of this great person who influenced so many people, like countless people. And that's another thing I think we forgot to mention before is he answered every letter he ever got. And he kept every letter he ever got. And that's not a lie. That's what, it's not an exaggeration. Literally, he would spend hours every day. It was part of his regimen that you talked about before, Pete, right? Is he would spend hours every day just answering fan mail. Kid wrote him a letter. He responded back. Because he said, if they took the time to write to me, they deserve that. I'm going to respect that. I'm going to take the time to write back to them. So imagine that being a kid and you would actually get a letter back from Mr. Rogers. Nuts. Uh, after his death, uh, a lot of people cite him as an inspiration, um, particularly for different children's shows, such as Arthur, a PBS-owned show, but also Blue's Clues, which is what I remember yes, as well. Yeah. Blue's Clues producer and co-creator, Angela Santamiro, you know, she was shot a degree in developmental psychology and got into educational television primarily because of the fact that um, she 
admired Mr. Rogers. And she yeah, used Rogers' techniques, such as using yeah. child development, educational research, uh, having the host speak directly to the camera, yes, transition yeah. to make-believe world. Like, basically, Blue's Clues it was like an updated version. Well, didn't she, um, didn't she eventually leave... And it was one of them producers that left Blue's Clues and went and started Daniel Tiger. Yeah, I think it was her. She started uh, yeah. Daniel Tiger in 2012. Which Daniel Tiger is the son of Daniel Stripe Tiger, which was the one that was on Mr. Rogers. Yep. And that one's a, so, that's a cartoon. I think that's it's like still on, right? It's, still, it's still, on. still on. Yeah. I mean, my kids watched it, but my kids are older now a little bit, but they still watched it. I know he says in the show, how are you doing today, neighbor? No, it still goes, would you be my neighbor? It still does the whole it thing. It does yeah. do all that, yeah. More recently... Following the tragedies at uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting and the Manchester Arena bombing in England and various different school shootings, and especially the one in Parkland, Florida in 2018 as well, a lot of like Rogers quotes and words of comfort have been circulating time, yeah. on, on social media. It also became kind of big right in um, 2018 when they had A Beautiful Day Neighborhood, which was a film starring Tom Hanks. Which is actually his, did you see that? that it's like he's, a, he's somehow- He's like a ninth cousin related yeah, to like related somehow- to Related to Mr. Rogers, which they came out yet yeah, and we were figuring that out. And it's like it's like a true story of this. Um, oh, what was it? He was I forgot what magazine, but he was basically you know put in charge of going to meet and give an interview with Mr. Rogers. Like there's a segment called Our Heroes. He's like, oh, I'm going to like expose this guy, you know, and be like, this is this is just an act. How he acts, and it's like, oh my god, this guy is really acts like this. And in real life, Rogers actually helped the guy through his own traumas and like stuff. He's basically the guy had like a um a cut on his nose that he got because he got in a fight at a wedding which is a whole other story. And then Mr. Rogers is basically asking him, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? How can I help you? Well, something must have happened if you, you know, and he's like more, showed more caring for this guy than, you know, like (laughs) doing the story. And there's a real thing to have. I never saw the movie, but I did see the story about it, but I want to see it now. Um, It's a true story where they went on a train and this kid recognizes Mr. Rogers. They go, that's Mr. Rogers. I saw that. And then he goes and talks to the kid. Then everyone on the train Start singing, won't you be my neighbor? Yep. To him, that actually really happened. Can you imagine that today in 2023? Yeah. People on the side, I've seen a lot of subway videos that pop on Twitter lately. They're not singing, won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. <laughs> like there's some crazy stuff going on on you know subways nowadays, but they just broke into, won't you be my neighbor? Because they saw Mr. Rogers. Just, he just projected that like feel good aura. I'm inspired by, I'm making Mr. Reska's neighborhood now. That's it. Like it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's just one of those things. Like, oh, man. I don't know. Like, I remember watching as a kid, but like now, just really looking at it, there's That's a whole because website. You're a parent now. That's because you're a parent. Well, there's a website that says like fathering through Mr. Rogers' teachings. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to do that. Just the patience. <laughs> I don't know how anyone could have that, that level oh, of man. patience and stuff. Well, like we're that, teachers. That we have to have patience. We have some patience. And we do. We do. I probably Not have Mr. Rogers' level, but you know. No, no. But that's what really resonating with me is what you saw is what you got. Like, there was, that was not an act. And hopefully you guys will, uh, this will inspire you to go and research Mr. Rogers a little bit more and maybe rewatch some of those episodes that you have long since forgotten. Absolutely. So uh, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once more. We do appreciate it. If you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Um, also, follow us on social media. Make sure you click that like button, subscribe button. Uh, leave us a review if you like us. Why not? And I guess that's it. And we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. And remember, what would Fred do? <laughs> that's right.
hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com.